NBC Arlington, how you guys doing tonight? Good, man, it's good to see you guys. Hey guys, we're in Mark 2, we're in a sermon, that's a bumper said, untitled uh, Follow Jesus, so meet me at Mark 2, uh, 1 through 12. And so while you guys turn, I'm going to tell you already, tonight's going to be a little bit different, um, because tonight what we're going to do is that we're going to pause at points during the sermon uh, to pray individually and also to pray uh, within groups. And also tonight, uh, one of the things that I also want to do is I want to pray for something very specific. Uh, I want to pray uh, for the unreached. And when I talk about the unreached, um, here's some data for you. There are 7,000 people groups in the entire world, and 3,000 of those 7,000 people groups are considered unreached, meaning there's little to no access to the gospel within those people groups. You may be looking at me and you're saying, Eric, what in the world is a people group? I'm glad you asked. Uh, A people group is their largest group within which the gospel can spread without significant barriers like language or acceptance. And so sociologists have calculated there's 7,000 of those, there are 3,000 without the gospel. Many people will grow up and live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. How will they hear unless we go? So one of the things I want to pray for today is that God will raise up us to be a part of his mission to show the world that their greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God. So I pray that we'll respond to that in a number of different ways. Before we get to that, let me go ahead and read uh, Mark 2, 1 through 12. So Mark 2, 1 through 12, here it is. And when he entered Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And this is the word of God. So really quickly, let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help in understanding what this text means and the courage to obey. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Will you help us understand your word and respond to it as we should? We need you to do that. Will you help us tonight? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, guys, right now, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about right now, in this moment, answer this question. What is your greatest need right now? And I know what you're doing already. 
When you think about your greatest need, what we tend to do is, is, is try to rank our current need on the level of significance or, or, or the level of importance. And sometimes we can kind of push down things that we feel like we need because we think, oh, it's not important in the grand scheme of things. No, I, I really want to give you guys permission to answer that question truly tonight. What do you feel like you need right now in this moment? Uh, for some of you guys, it, it may be, listen, I just need strength to make it through this week. I know this week is going to present maybe some hard conversations or uh, it's going to be some hard things that are coming up this week. God, I just need your strength uh, in, in order to make it. For some of you guys, it, it may be the fact that, hey, I'm lonely. <laughs> like right now, I feel this need of, I need community. I need people who, who know me and love me even still. Some of you, it's like, I need friendship. For some of you, I need a mate. For some of you, it's like, I need some resources. I don't know what it is. What is the first thing that you're thinking about when I ask that question? What do you need right now? I, hold, I want you to hold that. And then I also want you to think about the world's need. And I'm not asking you to compare the two. But I want you to think about the world's needs. And we can say so many things that the world needs right now. We can say that the world needs peace, or the world needs cures for diseases and drinkable water, or tyrants to be deposed, or for injustices to stop. All of these are needs, and there's so many needs represented in this room and across the entire world. And with that said, I want to take you to this text today, and I want to talk about our Savior Jesus and how he relates to the needs that we have and the needs all around us. And so then, like I said before, I'm going to encourage you guys to meet a specific need tonight as well. So here's a couple of points that I want to make in this text, and then we're going to pray after each point. So here's the first point that I want to give you today. Here it is. It's a a shorter one. We have a Savior who acknowledges needs eagerly. We have a Savior that acknowledges needs eagerly. Now, I want to bring you into this text, man, and I want you to use uh, your sanctified imagination. And so, like, I want you to imagine what's happening here. Think about this. Jesus is back in his hometown. He's there. Word has gotten out about him. He's healing people. People are flocking to him. His fame is rising. And Jesus is back home, and people found out the house that he's in, and they swarm the house. It's shoulder to shoulder, man. It's hot in there. But people are eagerly waiting on Jesus with bated breath because he's in there teaching about the kingdom of God. And then look at verses 3 and 4. It says this. It says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the the paralytic lay. Imagine that. You got these men trying to get to Jesus. They got their boy on the cot. They can't get to the door because it's shoulder to shoulder, and they can't get in. So they climb up on the roof, and they start digging through the roof in order to enter the house. Now, when I was reading this text this week, I was thinking about it from a perspective of a person who's not shown in the text. I was thinking about it from the perspective of the person who owned the house. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I already know what I'm thinking already. Before the dude dug into the house, I know how I roll. I'm like, listen, I invited you over my house, Jesus. I thought it was going to be a small group of us just sitting around having a nice Bible study. I ain't expect you to invite the whole neighborhood. You got people with sandals on, tracking dust all in my house. And then you look up and somebody is digging through your roof, the roof you pay for. 
in order to get to Jesus. Yo, this is crazy. But here's the thing. I want you to notice something in this text. Think about Jesus. Jesus is in the middle of preaching a message. And, and this message is something in chapter one that Jesus said that he came to do. It's his mission. What he's doing in that moment is incredibly important. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And yet, check this out. He allows the needs of this one man to interrupt him. It's a beautiful thing. He's the king preaching the message of the kingdom, and yet he allows someone's need to interrupt him. Here's an analogy of the opposite of that. I remember about five or six years ago, I can't remember which, I remember standing before you guys at NBC Arlington, at least some of you guys who were here, and I'm in the middle of giving a call to worship and the fire alarm goes off. Was anybody here when the fire alarm went off in the middle of worship, right? So y'all remember what I did. So when the fire alarm went off, did I stop teaching? No. I was like, listen, I got an important message. I'm getting this out. And I was teaching until I saw my wife. My wife had this face, this look on her face when she got up and went into the aisle. She looked at me like, you can keep talking, but I'm leaving. <laughs> so in that moment, man, we paused and then we all went outside. And I love the fact that I was thinking in that moment that, uh, listen, the fire alarm, it could be false. It was not going to interrupt my marriage. And I love it because Jesus here is so much better than I am. Jesus was preaching the, uh, the important message, the message that points to himself. And these men lower a paralytic man, and Jesus pauses this important message, and he addresses the need. Here's the thing. This illustrates something about the heart of Jesus, that he is a king that's attentive to needy people. He's a king that's attentive to needy people. There are needs all over this room, some more serious than others, and we have a Savior who doesn't dismiss your need or declare your need unimportant. He doesn't ignore you. Whatever you need, you can lift it up to the Savior, and you can trust that you have his undivided and gentle attention. And so I want us to simply do that right now. I want us to pray for some needs today. First of all, I want you to take a moment to potentially pray together. Like, I know COVID is still out in these streets, and I know sometimes you want to pray by yourself. I'm not going to force you to pray with anybody. But if you can, I would encourage you to get in groups of three and four. And I want you to pray for each other's needs. There's some needs that are very heavy right now, and we as a church, we should pray for one another. So I want you to pray for other people's needs. If you're by yourself, just pray for your own. But then also, I want you to pray for needs outside of your reach. I want you to also pray for the needs of some of the countries who have some very hard needs. Specifically, I want you to pray even, possibly even for the country of Afghanistan right now. Man, there's a tool that Radical has come up with called the Stratus Index, and it pretty much ranks countries and talks about um, what is the most acute need in the world. What countries have the most acute need? And Afghanistan is number one. I'll give you a couple of things. In Afghanistan, the upheaval of the last 40 years reduced the country to ruin and destruction. War led to one million deaths and left up to four million orphans. Most people live in poverty. With little employment opportunity, 60% of Afghans are under the age of 20 and have only known a life of war. The status of women also deserves special prayer. The Taliban largely bans them from public life. Numerous women die in childbirth in Afghanistan because they cannot receive health care from male doctors. 
Female literacy is under 30%. Widows face difficult circumstances, and suicide is common. So I'm going to invite you to pray for a couple of things. Pray for justice and freedom from gender-based oppression, and especially that women might find true freedom that only comes through Christ, and men as well. So all this to say, are you needy this afternoon? I want to invite you to pray. When you lift up those needs, knowing that he cares for you, that he acknowledges you, and we live in a needy world. Take a moment to pray for the world right now, for Afghanistan and countries like it. So feel free to gather in groups and then you pray by yourself. Let's take a couple of moments and then we'll keep going. Let's pray.
Father, you said in your word, I love what the psalmist says. He said, when anxiety was great within me, your joy brought consolation to my soul. Father, there's so many needs within this room right now. And Father, we thank you that you don't dismiss our needs, but we can lift our needs up to a loving and caring Savior. And we can trust that you will do good by us. Father, we also can trust that you will do good by the nations. Father, there are so many people out here who don't know the salvation that we can find in you. And you provided the world with the means by which they might hear, and that's us. Help us declare in our hearts that you are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? That our satisfaction comes from you. And we'll be a people that alleviate need in the world. Will you help us, Father? We lift our needs to you. We lift the world's needs to you. Understanding that you can do something about it. And so we wait for you. We love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that first point, we were talking about how we have a Savior that acknowledges our need. But I'm going to give you our second point today. And you actually see this in verse 5. Here's the second point. We have a Savior who satisfies needs deeply. Satisfies needs deeply. Let me explain to you what I mean. Here's verse 5. It says this, man, those men, they were bold. They, they did a HGTV project to the roof, lowered the guy through the roof. And it says here, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And here's the thing. I wish I could see the look in their faces. The four men who lowered their guy through the roof and the paralytic. And the reason why I wish is because that's not what everybody was expecting that Jesus would say. Jesus had done all this healing. They, they brought this guy to Jesus because they knew Jesus could heal him. Jesus has been healing all these people in Mark chapter 1. And all they're thinking is like, man, if I just get my boy to the feet of Jesus, he asked to be healed, Jesus will do it. But Jesus does not say in that moment, rise, your, par- your paralysis is healed. He says in that moment, your sin is forgiven. And I kind of want to see the look of their faces when Jesus said that, because I'm, I'm sure they're thinking, Jesus, that's nice and all, that, that you would give them uh, forgiveness of their sin, but there's something more pressing here. My guy can't walk. Will you heal him? And I'm sure the paralytic is thinking the same thing. He's saying, my whole life, I've just, I just want to walk. But listen to this here. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something, and I want to take a moment to explain this. Our greatest and deepest need is forgiveness from God. Our greatest and deepest need is to be in a right relationship with God. Here's the thing, guys. We are tempted to believe that our eternal joy is on the other side of whatever pressing need that we can name. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to dismiss anyone's needs at all because we have some serious needs. Our world has some serious needs. I'm aware of that. It's interesting. Jesus is not saying to, uh, to, uh, to be paralytic, uh, to the paralytic that his paralysis is not a problem. 
Jesus is not looking at you and saying that your pressing needs are not a problem. They are. Listen, Christianity is a religion where we do not turn a blind eye to the physical suffering in the world. This is not Gnosticism. We don't believe that the spiritual is somehow better uh, than, than, than the physical. Jesus cares about your body and your soul. However, here's the thing. Listen to me. Jesus is encouraging the paralytic to go deeper, to go deeper. The paralytic is probably thinking something like this. It's something that we're all tempted to believe. He's thinking, if only I could just walk again, then I'd be set for life. If only I could walk again, I'm not going to complain anymore. I'll be happy. Life is good. And Jesus here is trying to say, you've underestimated the depths of your heart. I think Jesus is trying to say this. If all I do is heal your body, you'll feel great, but wait a couple of months. It won't last. You'll find something else to be discontent about. A book I'd recommend to you guys while we're walking through the book of Mark, because it it actually tracks with this. It's actually, it's actually um, Tim Keller's book called Jesus is King. It's a book about the book of Mark. And in it, great article, he includes this article by a writer named Cynthia Heimel. And in the article, she's writing about celebrities, right? She's writing about the people who go to New York and they try to make it. They're struggling artists and they're just trying to squeak by. They think, man, if I make it big, then I'll be happy. Then he writes about when they make it big and they achieve their biggest dreams and they tend to be unhappier. And then she says this line. She says this. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Listen to me today. This is something you got to understand in order to get Jesus. Our deepest wishes will never satisfy our deepest need. It's interesting. Jesus sees the suffering in the paralytic, and he doesn't give him in that moment his deepest wish. He goes deeper than that. And we must sit in it long enough to understand the compassion and power of Jesus. You see, the Bible says that every single one of us has a deepest wish, and what we do is we build our identity on it. We believe that if we can just get that thing, whatever it is, we'll be content, we'll be secure, we will matter to the world. And we'll never use the phrase, but we're basically turning that thing into our savior. So we don't get it and we're bitter and unhappy. But when we do actually get the thing that we wanted, we discover that it doesn't deliver what we actually needed and it makes us more unhappy and empty. And even with our Savior, it says, and in fact, not only, this, thing will, and this thing ultimately will let us down entirely. And honestly, some of us, we come to church and, and we pray, hoping that God would get us out of our suffering or help us get over the hump or get back on track so that we can get back to tracking down to our deepest wish. But every time we come to Jesus saying, please help me get my deepest wish, you know what Jesus tells us? He says, you must go deeper. You must go deeper. Jesus says that he is the only one that would satisfy our longing souls. And what's beautiful about him is that when you fail him, he'll forgive you. See, see, listen, there's nothing wrong with looking to God to give us our deepest wish. He loves to give us good things. But it's the fact that we're looking to our deepest wishes to be our savior. That's our problem. Here's the thing, we're often unaware of how deep this problem is. 
Here's the thing. I'm not trying to minimize your pain in any way. The deeper problem, hear me today, must be healed in order to have victory over your pain. The deeper problem needs to be healed in order to have victory over your pain is a savior problem. We need a savior. And that's why Jesus responds the way that he does. And I say all of this to say this. We can experience this and our world needs to experience that Jesus is a satisfier to our souls. Like I think about our lives right now, we need to understand that your, happen, your eternal happiness is not on the other side of your physical need. Your eternal happiness is available to you right now in Christ. They are nations that need to understand this as well. I think about uh, uh, nations like Somalia when there's incredible need and yet there's 0.3% of, of the residents there who are Christians. They need to know Jesus. So even right now, I want to possibly, let's pray together again. Let's gather into groups. And I want us to pray that we will find satisfaction in Jesus even in the midst of our unmet desires. This is not to say no longer lift your desires to God. Man, I got desires in my heart that I've been waiting for years for God to do. And I'm still praying. Once uh, something that another pastor once said, and it struck me. He said, the boldest prayer that you can pray is a prayer that you prayed a thousand times before. Pray that. But then also pray that you'll have satisfaction in Christ even in the midst of unmet desires. Along with that, I want us to also pray for the nations. Nations with extreme needs like Somalia. And I want them to know that their greatest need is that they need a Savior in Christ. Let's pray that God will open their hearts to the need and that he'll send people with the message of the gospel. Let's take a moment and pray.
Father, you said in your word in Psalm 107, 9, that you satisfy the longing soul. You satisfy the longing soul with yourself. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, however, you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. Will you be our portion even in the midst of worldly need? But of all the needs that we have in the world, our greatest need is you. So Father, it is not to us to withhold that, that message of the satisfaction that can be found in you through the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who need to hear it. So Father, I pray for these countries, God, that are unreached and has incredible physical need. I pray that you awaken their hearts to their spiritual need in you. We need you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, before I move to the next point, I want you to notice something. It's probably like a five-minute gap. I I don't know the time that passed in the text. There's probably a five-minute gap between the time in which Jesus forgives the paralytic sin and that he eventually heals the body. And I'm sure during that five minutes, there's a lot of emotions that the paralytic um, guy was feeling. We don't see this in the text, but uh, I'm sure he's possibly experiencing joy. Wow, Jesus forgave me. But maybe in those five minutes, he's experiencing disappointment or confusion. He's saying, God, listen, I love the fact, Jesus, I know I'm forgiven, but I really want it to be healed. And let me tell you today that just as sure as Jesus healed the paralytic man five minutes later and provided for his need, faith is trusting that if you can trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your soul, you can trust him for the the, the needs of your body. And this is the case whether or not you've been waiting for 10 minutes or whether you'll be waiting for 10 decades. Listen, God will meet your needs, your physical needs, either here below or with him. And I pray, listen to me, that we're able to wait in faith. I'll say this before I move to the next point. Part, part of what it means to live as faithful witnesses in the world today, in a world in which everything is immediate, in which we're impatient with each other, we're impatient with our circumstances. Part of the way that we live as glorious witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ is when we're able to wait in faith and wait well. And God gives you the ability to do that. And so I pray that we'll be a people who wait well. Here's my last point for you guys. We also have a Savior who will meet need sacrificially sacrificially. We have a Savior who will meet need sacrificially. Here's the last point. And this this is what I appreciate about this text. Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And the moment that Jesus says that, it causes some drama. It causes some drama. You actually see the beginning of it in verse 6. What's crazy is this. All of chapter 1, Jesus has been healing all these people and everything's been going great. But as soon as chapter 2 hits and Jesus says, "Um, I I forgive your sins, that's where everything starts to go off the rails a bit. Look at verse 6. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they get it. The only person that can claim to forgive all sin is God alone because only God can forgive all sin. All sin is against him. Here's an analogy for you. If somebody ran up into this room and just straight up smacked you, like smacked you hard, like everybody heard it. And I stood on stage, and I looked at the person that smacked you, and I say, I forgive you. 
You know what you would do, rightly so? You would look at me while you hold your face, and you would say, Eric, you don't get to do that. You don't get to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that you can give in that moment. They hit me. And the reason why these guys are upset in the text is because Jesus looked at this paralytic and said, your sin was against me, which means that he was claiming to be God and everybody knew it. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He did it all over the Gospels. And Jesus is addressing them before they can even get it out. He says in verse 8, look at it. He says, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise up, your, rise, up, rise, take up your bed and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Here's the thing. I want you to go back to verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus hits them with a question for them to ponder. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And it's so interesting because from the crowd's perspective, the answer is pretty simple. For Jesus to say your sins are forgiven, that seems easy because you wouldn't immediately see Jesus' power to forgive with your own eyes. How would you know? But if Jesus said, get up and walk, you would immediately see his power or lack thereof. Either the man would get up or he didn't. However, when I was looking at this text, I was thinking, I never thought this. Which one was easier for Jesus to say? Think about this. In Mark, I told you before, Jesus was doing miracles all over the place. There were no problems. He was casting out demons. He was healing diseases. But the problem did not begin until he claimed to be God. And in the listener's mind, for Jesus to say, I forgive your sin is the easier thing. But for Jesus, that phrase was incredibly hard. Why? Because he knows in that moment who he's saying it to what it means, and who's listening in when he says your sins are forgiven. When he said your sins are forgiven in front of the scribes and the authority, he already knows where this is headed. He knows this is headed to the cross. And when you understand what happened on the cross, you begin to understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for the paralytic man. Let me explain to you. Jesus healing his legs was nothing in comparison to forgiving his sin. We'll get here eventually, but in Mark chapter 14, Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And think about what Jesus was going through in this moment. Jesus in the Garden was greatly troubled and distressed. The original words in the writings of Mark means that he was overcome with shocking horror. So overcome that he started sweating blood. This isn't just sadness. This is horror. This is Jesus, and he's terrified, so terrified that he says, Abba, which is an intimate way of addressing the Father. He says, Abba, take this cup from me. Take it away. And the cup is an Old Testament metaphor for God's wrath and judgment against all sin. And you know what happens? The cup isn't taken away. 
Jesus goes to the cross bearing the sin of the entire world, yours and mine, so that we might be forgiven of all that we have ever done. People might think that, oh, uh, Jesus saying your sins are forgiven is the easiest thing. But no, Jesus saying forgive, uh, I forgive your sins, that was the hard thing. He did that for us. This is such good news. In this text, Jesus shows up, shows off that he has all authority to heal the body and to forgive sins. This is the Savior that we serve, and this is a message that the world so desperately needs to hear. So many people in the world have yet to hear about the authority of Jesus Christ, and he's given the world the means by which they will hear this message, and that's you and me. It's you and me. He wants us to be invested in the task of spreading his fame to the four corners of the globe, especially those who have yet to hear. And so tonight, even right now, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to respond to however God is speaking to your heart right now. You may believe that right now in this moment that God is calling you to go, to move for a period of time, maybe months, maybe years, maybe indefinitely. You don't have to have all the answers right now. But if God has been speaking to your heart today, and I'll even add this, maybe God has been speaking to your hearts previously to today, maybe even going back years ago, but today, it's time to respond to that, regardless of how long. If you believe that God may be leading you to go and to move for a period of time to the unreached, then I want to invite you to do something. And so as soon as this gathering is over, I want you to make your way to the lobby um, where there's a table set up right in the back. And we have a few people that are serving on our global outreach team. And I, I want you to talk to them and they wanna help you maybe take some next steps to talk through and maybe pray about this decision that you're feeling God is calling you to make. So go to them. And then there may be some of us in here, you may know, okay, um, I wanna play my part in praying or giving or even sending people. And I wanna invite you to do something that's very simple. So if y'all could do me a favor, you can pull out your phone. And I want you to text UNREACHED to 571-581-6297. You can put it up on the screen. And then there's also a QR code that you can click on with that. If we can put that on the screen. And so whenever that comes up, you guys can go ahead and make sure you look at that. 571-581. Two, um, 6297, you can touch Unreach, 571-581-6297, or you can click on this QR code and they'll send you to the form. And when you do that, you'll get a link to this form and you can fill it out. And we'll definitely follow up with you um, in, um, in your desire to support and to send people to the unreached parts of the globe. So let me do this. Let me close our time in prayer and then we're going to respond by going to the table together. Well, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And we just sing that. That our hearts adore you. We love you. Not because we, we, we mustered up the power to love you. We love you because you first loved us. We, we love you because we were made aware to the fact that you loved us. That you loved us so much that you came and you spilled your blood and you gave your life to offer us forgiveness and freedom. You gave us a new lease on life. We're new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. Thank you, God. I thank you for me growing up and having access to the gospel. I thank you for that Sunday school teacher when I was six years old who explained clearly the gospel to me and I understood that I needed a savior. 
And there are six-year-olds throughout this entire world who don't get that opportunity. How will they hear unless we go? Father, will you help us to make decisions for you to understand that ultimately in the gospel, when we put our lives on the line for you, we are ultimately safe in you because this world can take nothing away from us that you have not promised to us as an inheritance. This world can't take away our joy. This world can't take away our eternal life. This world can't take away our eternity with you. So Father, may we live boldly proclaiming your gospel in a world with urgent need. And we love you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.